0: Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 141. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Inga Rojas Contreras. And a little bit about her is that she was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia. Her first novel, Fruit of the Drunken Tree, was a silver medal winner in first fiction from the California Book Awards and a New York Times Editor's Choice. Her essays and short stories have appeared in the New York Times Magazine, BuzzFeed, Nylon, and Guernica, among others. Rojas Contreras has received numerous awards and fellowships from Breadloaf Writers Conference, Vona Hedgebrook, the Camargo Foundation, and the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture. She is she is a visiting writer at St. Mary's College and it sounds like now USF, University of San Francisco. And she we are mainly going to talk today about about her family memoir about her grandfather, a curandero from Colombia who was said had the power to move clouds. And that was the, you know, that was the explanation of the book before it was published. Um, the, the book is unbelievable, incredible, Thank you. The, the bulk of our talking today. I was telling you before we were recording my, my friend who's, uh, whose family's from Colombia, his last name happens to be Camargo. So he loved the fact that it was the Camargo Foundation. Tell us a little bit about working with like that foundation, the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture. I'm sorry. First of all, welcome.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I,
0: I forgot the, I forgot the obvious, but I guess just like, um, I guess the community of writers, you know, you're a professor of writing and obviously you have these two critically acclaimed, excellent books, just about how much, you know, help you get, how much help you give, just what the community of writers means, all these foundations, all these groups and all these universities.
2: Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful that there just, there's all of these ways in the U S to make writing and to find community. Hmm. Um, and yeah i you know i'm I'm very thankful that there is kind of a path to become a writer um and you know get support for your writing um I know that Europe is better
1: oh, yeah.
2: uh, than here, but I also know that the United States is um better than Colombia is at supporting the arts mm. um, and yeah so i i think as as an immigrant to this to this country that that was one of the things that I was just felt very supported by Mm. Um, and you know of course like there's there was a time when um, I had like a number of different visas and then that means that you can't apply for certain things Mm. Um, and I think that's changing now but you still kind of see it which I don't get like if you're an undocumented writer for example you might not be able to apply to some to some of the grants and some of the awards mm. where I feel like if but if you are undocumented, you're having a quintessential American experience
1: right wow. so
2: to me like that's who should be getting mm. um that those those awards and that money and that time and that institutional support um but I have seen some places you know, change. Mm. So that's, um, but yeah, but I feel like we, everyone should, all of the undocumented writers for sure should be able to apply to, to things. Um, I, the Camargo foundation is in, in France. Okay. uh, And they're just, they're a wonderful residency. And maybe it's been like my favorite residency that I've, that I've done. Mm. Um, it was this beautiful apartment and it's in this little it feels like a I'm not sure, but it feels like it was um like a fisherman's village. Oh, okay. Um and there was this topless beach that was maybe five minutes from where I was staying, and uh-huh. I just had this rhythm of writing in the morning and then going to the topless beach and then Get you know, buying food from the market and then going back to the apartment and hanging out with the other people there. And there was something so, I mean, dreamy about all of that.
0: Oh, man. So cool. Well, thank you. You make, you obviously make that great point about like, if those, those fellowships, those scholarships, if they should be for anyone, they should be for, you know, the type of people you're talking about, right? Undocumented and those people, like you said, are the quintessential. You said it much better than I did, but Um, but that's great to hear that it's changing even in the, even the, since you've, since you've known about it, you talk about that, that, that dreamy, like getaway and getting into a rhythm and just finding that place to write. Obviously, I mean, you, you traffic in words for a living. You, you grew up speaking Spanish, obviously. And you talk about a lot of the indigenous, like roots of your family. I would love to know, like, did, did like a lot of the indigenous words come into the Spanish of your area of Colombia? Me, you do write about that a bit in the book, but like, is that is that something that's known? Like, could you have told you know, could you have said that at age thirteen? Like, this you know, this word has indigenous roots. Like, we'll talk more definitely know. about about indigeneity and you know, Colombia, but just specifically the language. Sorry, sorry yeah, to be so long winded.
2: No, no, no. I th- I think that when I was that young, I don't think that I could tell the difference. But now that I'm older, there is kind of a phonetics to the words that are indigenous
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and you know it's also that we have borrowed at this point um indigenous words that are not just from Colombia but are from the Americas
1: okay
2: um and you know in the United States has as well like aguacate mm. is an indigenous word right. and you say avocado but you know it's right. um it's like coming from that um and I I think most people actually can you know go through their life speaking Spanish and then not have an awareness of which words are, mm. you know, rooted in in the native languages and, and which ones are imported. Right. I, you know, the fascinating thing about language is that it's just a living organism
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's changing all the time and we're creating it as we live.
1: Mm.
2: I, I think about people who, for example, um, grow up in the US and they speak both English and, and Spanish and then their way of speaking uses both and then you create kind of like a third language
1: mm-hmm. that
2: is very creative and you when you hear it it's just this there's a creativity about it and a spark yeah. about it that is amazing um yeah so it's it's always changing and it's always kind of carrying mm-hmm. our history
0: mm-hmm so speaking of your history, um, you know, in in the, the latest book, there's so much about obviously about your grandpa. No, no. Right. And your mom, you know, being the the daughter of him. Right. I mean, your maternal side, your maternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. And not 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 a lot in the book is necessarily mentioned about about reading, about literature, mm-hmm. but, you know, definitely a lot about just the oral stories. And I love I love there are some scenes where you and some family members would sit around. You try to like bore each other the most. right because you're trying to get what i think your Theo to go to sleep or something like that right yeah we have
2: yeah we have this like hidden or secret errands that we're trying to uh to plan which is the secret errand is that we want to disinter my grandfather and nobody's supposed to know about it and so my aunt's um husband you know obviously my mom and i visiting he would want to hang out and he would want you know, hear us talk and everything, um but we just really wanted to plan, and we just we we were like, how do we, <laughs> how do we get him to go? Yeah. yeah, and then my mother came up with this, and we didn't even discuss it, but she just started to tell the most boring story. <laughs> I've never heard her tell a boring story, so I think all of us were just like, oh, she's trying to get him to go to bed. And then we just kind of took turns telling the most boring things that we could think of and i I know that when it was my turn, I told a story about being at the airport and then you know trying to find a place to nap and then not finding it, you know so just like pointless stories that are about waiting and not even getting the thing that you wanted. um I tried very hard to not laugh while we were right, right. while we were doing that.
0: Well, go ahead. I'm gonna go downstairs and grab some water. Go ahead and just go and tell that story about the airport. I'll be back in five minutes. Sound good? <laughs> <laughs> so, the most mundane stories. What what would be the word in Spanish? How would you say mundane? Or you know, what would be that word you would use in español? Mm, I, I, I guess what historias I would want to... cuentos? Historias?
2: I guess what I would want to say would be like, uh, cuentos aburridos. Okay. Which is kind of like, oh yeah. I wonder if that comes from. Yeah, I don't know what the etymology is. Mm-hmm. It could be burro. I don't know. Ah,
1: okay. But you
2: can do this wonderful thing in Spanish where you, depending on the, if I want to say very boring, mm-hmm. I would say aburridísimo. So mm-hmm. there's this ending mm-hmm. that you can add to the word to make it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. So that's it's quite beautiful Spanish with just the way that you can tinker with each word and... Okay. Kind of shift the the meaning of it,
0: right? I don't know if it's if it's just Mexicans, but they'll use instead of isimo they'll use on. So like every baby is like cachetón cacheton, Oh yeah, yeah. we do that, yeah. Right, see on and ona isimo So I I I feel like my conversation with you today will probably one of the most like circular, which (laughs) you know I usually have. I mean, I have my outline. It's usually very, but the book you know the book doesn't necessarily go in chronological order. I mean, it doesn't, and you know just obviously circles are a huge symbol of the book too. So um, you were talking about language and its importance and the way you can, you know, create things in in Spanish and so many other languages. Like you, your, your grandfather, he talked about, he, early on in the book, you, you, you describe him as even on his business card, right. Which was kind of a funny story, not kind of, it was a funny story, but like home, homeopath is that how you pronounce it? Versus curandero. So like, what, what are like the connotations of those in, in Colombia, in, in your, Colombia. Okay. your area at that time?
2: yeah um so when we say curandero basically the connotation of it is you you're kind of saying shaman is what you're saying it kind of carries that same connotation and i think you know the historical weight of that is that you're um talking about someone who is you know has a different kind of um type of medicine and they're probably Mm -hmm. using plant knowledge Mm -hmm. and but you're kind of discrediting it or you're Uh you're kind of calling it um, I don't know kind of like a hack a little bit so it it has that that tone to it Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you say homeopath um, which I think the definition of it is is someone who uh, I think does tinctures like plant tinctures um, that it sounds scientific Mm -hmm. and it sounds you know, it just, it sounds like it's in the, in that, um, you know, it sounds polite or just like the polite way of saying it.
0: Right. You know, backtracking, this is the man who could move clouds. And well, let me ask you this question too. Is who's the, who's the protagonist of the book is, I mean, it's, you know, the man who can move clouds. You're referring to no, no, your grandfather, your mom and you, you know, there's the lineage of, of the amnesia and such like, is there one protagonist or not necessarily?
2: I don't think there is. Um, I think that all three I think that all three are the protagonists mm-hmm. and you know what I was thinking about when I was writing the book is how the story gets carried by each person mm-hmm. through time and you know sometimes that story is being carried by my grandfather and then my mother my mother carries it and then I go back to my grandfather carrying it right. and then I go to me carrying it um I was very interested in this idea of Uh, a story that can be told across three lifetimes. Um, And I was very interested in telling just a very big story. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why I became very interested in that is just because there were so many parallels between the the stories. Um, So it just, it felt, you know, as a storyteller, when you have certain things that feel like they're uh, rhythms mm-hmm. like you have like these um, things that kind of like look the same then to me kind of like I don't know musically it just feels like I I want to use that or I want to somehow like highlight that
0: right well there was a there was a scene in the book where you're um, at the airport and it sounds like maybe the adults knew better than you did. Like this could have been dangerous. Like, you know, you like kind of like, hey, let's go talk behind the curtain type of thing or whatever. And, you know, it's during the, the situation times and Colombia's is called and all that. But you were just like asking questions, right? You were like a journalist. You like had, I don't know if you literally had a notepad, but you were asking questions, right? So I guess like the bigger question is, this is a book that is, it reminds me a lot. Are you familiar with Jean Guerrero? Yes. Her book Crux mm. is one of my favorites. Because mm-hmm. it, like like you, I'm mean, like there's psych- like you know like, there's science involved, there's history involved for sure. There's like what sociology. There's you know boom 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 boom. There's a million things that you get involved in. And, you know, and some of it is just pure, just great, so- solid journalism. What was it like to write about you? Like in some way, I, mean, I know you use first person to write about yourself, but in some ways you're kind of like the ghosts that go throughout the book. You're kind of like disembodied. You know, you're like yeah. watching yourself. Like how how was that?
2: yeah i I think it is more comfortable for me to to write about other people than it is about writing about myself um so i i've i found my way writing the the memoir and then um constantly having to go back and then put more of myself in there mm-hmm. um and you know partly it's just that I think naturally I'm someone who likes observing and I'm someone who likes to listen um and I just really love gathering stories and just you know making sure that somebody's life can be heard or you know that that i can in some way honor them by telling Mm -hmm. their story very well
1: right
2: um and i just get so lost in that that when it comes to talking about myself or like what i was experiencing it's almost like i i have to remind myself that i should do that um and, it, and it, it was that way with the memoir. Um, and, you know, all of, I think the the other reason why I was um, maybe like resisting it a little bit was just because the, the writing that I had to do about myself would then have to, it just required an emotional excavation and I had to talk about um, trauma and I had to talk about things that I just wasn't sure how to write about or how they might be painful to me or harmful to me if I put them on paper or if I kind of like um, dug them up. So it was just like a very kind of slower process that I was doing for myself. Um, In a book like this one where my mother is, you know, very freely sharing stories with me about things that she's lived through or, you know, brutality of men that she's, you know, been at the uh, receiving end of. Mm-hmm. But it it also felt like I had to do the same you know that she was doing if not more
1: right
0: Obviously, after the fact, you know, the, the book is so much more than the sum of its parts. There's an alchemy there that makes it just an incredible experience, you know, just a work of art, really. Thank but you. like in the beginning, like how did how did you pitch this book? Like
2: I, I told I told um, I told my editor who uh, who edited uh, Fruit of the Drunken Tree, uh, Margot Schickmenter, about it early on as I was working on it um and what i what i pitched was that it was going to be a family story and that it was going to be about you know my grandfather who people said could move clouds and then my mother who people said could appear in two places at once um and i said it's a story about like things that you inherit and what you don't inherit and it's a story about healing mm-hmm. so that was my <laughs> short pitch for it i think what really did it is that my editor got to meet my mother actually because we were uh yeah we were in new york i was i was doing um a tv show and i flew my mother there so that she could be Uh, there with me and i thought it would be like so special for her to to see that okay and yeah and so like my my editor got to meet my mother and i had already been telling my editor the kinds of stories that are in the book that are you know to To some to someone who's um, in the U.S. and unfamiliar with the culture, it just sounds you know fantastical. It just sounds yeah. like what are you you know what are you saying? Yeah. Um, but she got to to meet my mother, and um, you know I just heard my editor say like so so your father could move clouds, and then my mom would be like yeah, and you know tell her a story about it. Um, so I think I think even meeting my mother and seeing the source of mm-hmm. um you know or where, where i was getting you know many of the stories that it just um i think that that just made her like really interested in in what it what it could be
0: right it's a great touch in the book that you include a lot of pictures and like when i saw the picture the first picture of your grandfather i was like oh okay you know like it really does ground you and like oh he he's real
2: yeah you know, he's real <laughs> yeah um i i've always really loved um memoirs that have photos in it but i mm-hmm. i don't know if i i if i didn't want to do the type of memoir that has photos and it's kind of an illustration of the story where you right. you know where you say like this is you know you're telling a scene about a wedding and then you might see some wedding photos i wasn't interested in in that but i was i was more thinking about the images as carrying a different part of the story that I wasn't writing yes out loud um and I I took this Polaroid camera with me to Colombia for when I was you know living out the the events in the book right um and I I just became very interested in trying to photograph um evidence of the surreal Mm -hmm. you know like when you know if I was talking with an aunt and she was telling me about this ghost that she had been seeing since she was a little girl and she was describing it. And we were looking at the spot where this ghost appeared. Um, then I, you know, I would take out my Polaroid camera and then I would, I would photograph it. Mm. So I was really kind of trying to photograph traces of the ghostly, you know, things that we can't see, but then people are experiencing in some way. Um, yeah, so I was very interested in in doing that.
0: Well, amazing coincidence or or not is that your your mother experienced the you know a a traumatic injury in 1964 and you in 2007 that led to amnesia. Yeah. Right. Hers was hers was falling down a well, possibly being pushed. Possibly. Possibly, right? By a, a person of-
2: or a ghost or not or you know, we don't know. Right.
0: <laughs> yours was going to what going to pick up or bring back a black dress and your mom had just told you don't what don't don't mess with the dress basically or don't yeah that she drink.
2: said this dress is going to, is very has very dark energy yes. and it's gonna make you into a widow which i wasn't even married so i was like i don't what is this
0: yeah morning <laughs> yeah don't mess with the dress i just made up that's to be that'd be a good tv show <laughs> um, which by the way you were a tv star apparently too in new york but for different
2: oh no this was when i was there i was um in i was in seth meyers oh yeah so that's what we were that's what we were in town for and i i got my mom to, to come out um because oh, cool. i just really wanted her to to see it and i just really wanted her to to be there with me
0: oh what a cool experience yeah so, so the book, you know, mostly starts with those, with the idea of those two amnesia events, you, you know, like you describe it, I think as well as you possibly can describe like a nothingness, right? At times, amnesia? yes, yes. The amnesia, I mean, just a blank slate that what Tabula Rasa is the lot, you know, you, you were talking on the phone, you realize, oh, I can speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just wondering, like, how do you even, when you have amnesia, like, how do you even know what different languages are? Do you know what I mean? like?
2: yeah how
0: do you how did you explain it so well but like even how would you how can you explain to us like what is it like to be a blank slate but also know you know also know what a mirror is like at least yeah you know like how blank is blank
2: um (laughs) it was really fascinating it was almost like sometimes i would see something and then remember what it was um And I don't know, I don't know too much about how, um, you know, the information is like stored in your brain or how that works fully. Um, but I know that what can happen is that some connections are severed when you have, when you have a head injury and it doesn't mean that the information is erased,
1: Mm -hmm. but
2: only that it becomes kind of an, an Island that doesn't have any links going through it. Mm. But your your brain is so good at um, regenerating um, that it can then form different connections, but just from a different place. So sometimes with people who have amnesia and they have to recover their memory or they have to kind of recover, um, how, do you, how do you learn a language? It's about trying to find or trying to make your brain make a different connection to that island of knowledge right. that you already have and it all just right so like you hit your head and then it whatever connections you you are now messed up are the things that you can't remember mm-hmm. um so it, you know so anything could have happened really and i we were both my mother and i were very lucky that yeah. we didn't you know they we didn't lose our ability to 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 understand language for example mm-hmm. um and there's yeah there's there's also other people who retain their memory of the past and then are not able to make memories in the present. Right. How you sad, know so all sad, kinds of things I mean. can happen. Mm-hmm. Um but I think for myself I was I was just kind of walking through the city and then as I was walking through I would see something and then there would be this lag that would happen. Mm then I would recall the name of the thing or sometimes I wouldn't be able to recall
1: mm-hmm.
2: what it was.
0: Mm. Mirrors are a big, you know, motif throughout the book. And um, I mean, you, you pretty, pretty quickly after the accident, you you find a mirror, maybe, you know, accidentally, like it's like what a window or something. And then your mom, you know, was what, maybe eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And her, her father, Nona had, you know, nursed her back to health but it's not like she had you know horrific like bruising and swelling and yeah stitches and right and so she didn't want to see the mirror right you know you know because she could tell by people's looks that you know that kind of thing what like again again maybe impossible to explain but like before you saw a mirror like would you have like no idea what you look like would you i had no idea what i looked like like, you could be seven foot three you like you would have no idea
2: i honestly i didn't even it wasn't only until i I saw the this black window, Uh um, and I thought that I was just make making eye contact with a stranger.
1: Whoa, yeah. You know,
2: I thought that that was just someone that I was just happened to to look at, Mm. and but there was something in the looking where what I was feeling in that moment was kind of creepily but faithfully reproduced in the stare back that i got
1: Mm.
2: and so i did like this double take and then i saw (laughs) the reflection do a double take and then in that moment i understood that i was looking at myself um but before that moment i you know i was surprised that i was a woman Mm -hmm. because i had no idea i was just like neither gender i didn't kind of completely understand that I had a body sure even um and yeah
0: well thank you yeah I mean the the beauty of the book is that you describe it like I said as well as a human being possibly can being (laughs) that being that what like zero point zero zero percent of us three point percent of us have have experienced it but also there's that the unknowing the part that you maybe couldn't even explain to yourself that just the feeling you know the visceral part of it that yeah left to left to wonder about which there's no way to explain it right
2: yeah i think that moment with the window you know later when i was when i was thinking about that moment and maybe even when i had recovered my memory it just became such a almost like a you know mythological moment or mm. just thinking about like what is what was the first time when we did see ourselves right as people um and there's a there's a chapter in the book that is that is kind of wondering about that. Um, but, you know, to me, like the, the amnesia felt like an opportunity to go back to the origin of myself as a person, but also just of a human being as a person, mm-hmm. like what is it that makes us who we are? You know, wh- why are we, why am I this way? Why are you that way? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what makes each of us, you know have our personality traits or like our yeah our like distinctness where Mm -hmm. does that come from
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um and having amnesia and then suddenly not no longer having any of those markers that we might use to build an identity from you know Mm -hmm. for example saying like i'm colombian i'm a woman i'm you know all of those things that we just attach to our identity Mm -hmm no longer having any of that. I just remember being so fascinated by that question of, if I don't have any of that, um, then what am I? Cause yeah. it didn't even feel like who am I, but it felt like a, what am I okay. question? Yeah. Um, and it was such a surreal kind of stark place to, to be in. Um, and I just completely loved being there as well.
0: Mm. Wow. That's an important last sentence there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. I'm I'm reminded of two like disparate things, I think, but when you talk about like, almost like, like, almost like humans seeing themselves or seeing the world for the first time, like the story, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but the story is that like when the Spanish came, I think to, I think to like Dominican Republic, maybe like on the first visit, is that the, the Taino people saw the, saw the spanish with horses on horses and thought it was one one thing. yeah right? and it's like i was thinking about them like how could you blame them I'm like yeah like that's that's I one mean, thing anyone would
2: like if you that's yeah first
0: anyway. right I, like, if there, like there's
2: like, there. a way in which we only we only think like wow why would you do that when we know that it's two separate things but right yeah if you don't
0: second is uh, have you seen the movie and the name is escaping me the jim carrey movie about the loss of memory the oh, eternal, um, eternal sunshine of a spotless, of a spotless mind.
2: mind yeah i've seen it it's been like a really long time since i've yeah. seen that um i know that i saw it before i lost my memory
1: ah. not after oh wow
2: i do think that i mean generally i tend to be not super impressed with the imagination of amnesia huh. um, you know in, in fiction or in movies and I there's a way in which that can be used in a very um, I don't know stereotypical way or like yeah. a very flashy way Right, right, right. Um, what I the one movie that is that I think to me is the closest to amnesia that isn't even about amnesia is mm. Solaris which is um, the Andrei Tarkovsky version okay did you see that
0: I did what year would that have come out I'm trying to think how long ago that would have been
2: when is that from
0: so looking up the movie we're talking with Solaris so I think so I'm talking so the one I saw was definitely the George Clooney one sounds like you were talking about yeah
2: I didn't like I didn't like the George Clooney one yeah okay yeah
0: I, I was going to play along with you and say, "Yeah, that was a great one," but I, I didn't. I, it was been a long time, but I don't remember being especially great. But tell us about the yeah. 1972 one. Um, well,
2: the 1972 one, it's it's just like really plays up the strangeness of it. So the movie is is based on um on a book. I'm like forgetting his name right now.
0: Oh, Stanislav.
2: Oh yeah. Stanislaw. Lem. Okay. Yeah, Lem Stanislav, and so the premise is that there's there's this planet that's an ocean in outer space. And these astronauts have been studying it. And what they find is that when they try to read the ocean, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: the ocean kind of reads them back. And then what starts to happen is that through the night, um, somebody who's, who's long gone from their lives will materialize before them. Um, um, and so for the the main character, the person who materializes for him in the middle of the night is his wife who I think committed suicide okay um, and so her reaction to being alive and her not understanding what she is or anything at all about herself is I think the closest thing to Amisha that I've Mm. I've encountered either in film or or in fiction Um, she's for example she just she just wakes up completely materialized and then wearing this dress and it you know it's like very similar like Mm. she's just looking at this dress and being like I don't know what this is and she right. just doesn't have access to to the memories that he has of her
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, because she is kind of um, a projection of of this alien ocean um, so she herself doesn't know what she is um, oh and, yeah and I think that there's some point where she's. It's like bedtime and they're going to sleep and she has to take off this dress and she she asks asks him to take it off and she turns around and the place where it would have been kind of like tied with the little string in the Mm -hmm. back that is kind of like it has all of the it has all of the kind of makings of you could untie it, but it's actually like one piece mm. and he has to take these scissors and then cut open the dress. So the, the glitches, okay. you know, to me like that speaks of kind of like mm, I see. when you went the way that memory has glitches in it. Mm. And we, we tend to think that it's a very stable thing, um, but it just has these weird glitches in it. Um, wow. And she, there's a point where she sees a photograph of herself um, and she says, who is this? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like so (laughs) similar to actually what, uh, for me, you know, my experience of amnesia, um, her reaction to being alive is just the closest that I've, and I've watched that movie, I think at this point, maybe six times. And I, (laughs) I know that after losing my memory, um maybe it was a year later when I first saw it mm. and I just had like this deep moment of recognition just watching her wow. trying to understand who she is and you know she's it's not like she has a niche or she does in a way but she's more kind of like an alien projection Uh huh. Um, but I just remember just watching her and just feeling just I don't know just like remembering myself also you know looking at this black window and then having that question of like what am i mm.
0: you know that's like what like russian dolls or like a hall of mirrors right where you're a year or so after your accident you're watching someone else you feel like is your experience from a year you know it's just like
2: yeah layers yeah. and
0: layers and layers and layers
2: yeah man. i love that movie
0: oh man i got you gotta check it out yeah the, i gotta check out the original the original's always the best right yeah um my son is four now but i think of like even when he was two or three or barely talking he, he, he would say like what time is it which you know, like what is it i'm thinking like what does that even mean to him right i mean like what, what does it mean to say 453 when i just said four forty four minutes ago mm. you know like the i just i'm just so interested in like what does that even mean
2: yeah we're just you know? really so strange it's like we are really very strange
0: right that that's that's for sure that's for sure <laughs> Shortened to the point but that's that's some of the great wisdom you've already dropped for sure today oh man so you know going back to the book towards the beginning um you after the accident i'm not sure how soon after but like your family especially on your mom's side they were like oh man like let's i don't know if it's like less cheese out, but like let's like how how is it like is are you going to get the gifts too or like you know you've had some growing like how is that accident going to affect you in the same way as it affect you know is it going to affect you in the same way as it did your mom Right. Um, the line from the book is, quote, four decades later, when I suffered my accident and lost my memory, the family was thrilled. Theas poured yeah. drinks, told one another with an air of festivity. There it goes again, the snake biting its own tail. And then they waited to see how exactly the secrets would manifest in me. And you write, this is a story that happens in Spanish. And you go on to describe how your mom and, and the theas call each other Vols, like the old school, like thou. But they use thu with you. Um, and then you go into you know colonial fossil and Spanish, um, you know, how the language has evolved and all of that. Um I guess going again back to language, you talk about how your mom and your grandfather they were storytellers. They they you had your little side hustle business for a while, right? Where you were doing like like telling fortunes and like reading poems and that kind yeah. of thing, right? And you said you weren't getting a lot of customers until your mom was like, tell them a story, like use the metaphors. How much did you appreciate that at the time? And then how much has that led, how much has that, um, you know, led to you become a writer? Just this idea of like creating a story, creating a background and using metaphor.
2: I think it, I think that time in my life definitely was the thing that just introduced me to, to the power of stories um, and just watching, you know, the the things that my mother would do, which when someone comes to you for aid and they're coming to you because they're in a point of crisis, whether it's mental or physical or emotional,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, what they're asking is, you know, with help, you know, either finding a solution. So like opening a path through what's happening to them or sometimes just even just holding their story and you know trying to make that person arrive at a new place Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I when I was giving so I was giving like tarot readings and palm readings in my school and I used to have a business and I would charge Mm -hmm. um I wouldn't charge a lot but I was just you know but I but there were a lot of people so they're just um I was making like you know money for a young person Mm -hmm. um and the what I just I just I just noticed like how what it felt like to suddenly know so much about people, um, because when you're giving readings, the, the questions that people ask say a lot about what they worry about or say a lot about what they're kind of obsessing around.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I I just always knew that I wouldn't be a good fortune teller Mm -hmm. or just good at what my mother does at all, because my interest would be in the human element. Like Like I would be analytical
0: kind of like,
2: yeah, I would just be interested in, in people's lives and more of wanting to listen. um, And just kind of like really wanting to kind of get involved Mm. in that. Um, and I think that if you want to be, you know, a curandero or even just a doctor or a medicine person, that you can't get um, 100% invested in mm. the stories that you're being told. Because then otherwise, you start to lose your ability of of being able to help anybody. That makes sense. Because yeah. then you're just kind of carrying other people's um, weights.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But yeah. I, yeah, that I I think that there was something very interesting about um, trying to give someone an answer via you know pulling some cards and giving a tarot reading or like looking at their palm and trying to give them an answer right. to the thing that they were obsessing about or searching for, mm. or just really wanting to know. For me, there came a point where I started to become very good, but only because I was very good at analyzing. So I could tell, you know, in my school, like I could tell who had a crush on who and I could tell who was cheating and I could tell, I just had so much information and it all had to do with people coming to me and being like, does so-and-so think about me? Mm. And I'd be like, okay. So like when that person comes and asks me that same question about them, then I'm like, you guys like each other, you know, <laughs> um, but I would just, you know, give them a reading for that. <laughs> At some point I, yeah, yeah, became um, more popular and then the questions got harder Yeah, and then it had to do about, you know, someone telling me about um, addiction in their family or, uh, you know, potentially like losing um, their family house and, you know, what would happen in a year. And so, questions that I didn't know how to answer, you know, yeah. and um was just not ready for at all um but it did kind of um, I don't know i I think that the way in which i I'm interested in the world and I'm interested in what people are going through and have a lot of empathy for that that it just it makes me. Just more suited to storytelling, yeah. Than to than to try to help anyone.
0: No doubt, you you're talking about like some of the common things they the you know the the your your classmates would come to you with like you you would have just prescribed for me like I just tell me like go see that um Eternal Sunshine movie like I remember seeing that after like a bad breakup and I was like yeah yeah you know <laughs> forget about that person like you know, that was like the medicine I needed at the time you know to rail against. <laughs> In kind of, again, towards the beginning of the book, quote, we have a word in Spanish for the walking of the dead, desandar, which andar means to walk, right? Mm -hmm. To unwalk, to walk until the walking is worn thin, to walk until the walking undoes even itself. And then, you know, about ghosts and such, Um, you talk about how your mom was a village ghost through her like recovery time. And just ideas of ghosts. And obviously ghosts yeah. are a huge part of the book, right?
2: Yeah. And she was having um, dreams where she was. Right. The narrative and the dreams that she was having during Amnesia was that she was a ghost in a village.
0: So I guess the idea of like the walking and the unwalking, the idea of the the ghost and like real life, you know, um, and there were times in the book where you wrote like I I would rather, you know, there were times there was a great conversation, you and your mom, where you're kind of like, yeah. Like nostalgia, like remember those days when we were really more enmeshed in the ghost world? That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but yeah, I just, I just wonder about like that living in the real world, living in your dreams, living with ghosts. Like, I mean, I know it's a huge question, but like how, how that, especially post amnesia, has really informed your life. Mm.
2: Yeah. I suppose for, I mean, with ghosts, what I think is that we're always, we're always following the people who have left us, mm. whether that's people who have passed away or people who have kind of like left our lives. There's a way in which we continue to to follow them. Mm. Um, and I know that for, you know, for my mother and and myself, when we had amnesia, that we it, it's yeah, it is almost like we ourselves were the ghosts. Hmm. we ourselves were the people who had left um and there was a there was just a certain freedom and a certain weightlessness to that to leaving and to being a ghost mm-hmm. um and being unattached and being um having joy and having wonder mm. and just not being connected to anything or anyone so there's a real kind of freedom and this a real Um, lightness and happiness that that can come from that in the end I think for me just that moment um, after just right after the accident maybe like if I don't even know how long it would be maybe Mm -hmm. like half I don't know like my idea of time after the accident is is a little it could be like an hour you know whenever I saw the black window and I saw myself for me, that was the moment where it just became very difficult to walk away or to just remain. Oh, I see. You know, being happy, like being a ghost, or, you know, have you know, leaving or just not having memory.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was very committed to living my life that way at that moment. Um, but when I saw my reflection, there was something about just realizing that I was a woman, and then realizing that I was brown um and just realizing in some way that I was not in my land Mm. you know that I was not like in the place that I had Mm. because I think you know my initial thought was I knew that I had come from somewhere I just didn't know where
1: Mm. I had come from Mm.
2: and that that idea of being unknowable to myself or having a history that isn't for some reason I can't access Hmm. was really difficult to walk away from. Okay. And I think, I don't know, like what, what would have happened if I hadn't seen a reflection? I feel that I, I was going to walk away from my life. Like Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was to find my way to, to the port and then get on a boat and then convince someone to take me on a boat and like I'll do whatever job
1: mm.
2: and I just wanted to be in the ocean and what I wanted was to be isolated I just wanted to my idea of you know like when I had amnesia, I was like I can the fantasy of it was that I could somehow be a deckhand or something you know like whatever <laughs> it is that people <laughs> do on boats and yeah. and that nobody would talk to me and that nobody would have questions about you know where i came from or anything or that it oh. or that it wouldn't matter i could just make up whatever mm. and i would be surrounded by people who didn't know me and i would be surrounded by the ocean which um to me felt very similar to to the feeling of amnesia of just mm. being kind of like in this right. expanse um that's very mysterious and very alien but very beautiful um so I, you know, oh. <laughs> I went there. Like, what would have happened if I hadn't yeah. seen myself? Like, I, I don't well, know. I, At some point, I, I might have remembered, but who knows? I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a lawyer ready for copyright, like suing, like for Black Mirror? Come on, the show Black what? the show Black Mirror.
1: Yeah. Did like, they do your,
0: I don't even know much about this about the series, but that's your story. Black the Black Mirror for you was just was, oh yeah, was so pivotal, right? Do you like if somebody would have told you like you're you know right after that i said you're from paraguay would you believe them you know just ideas of like home like would you believe them or is, you know they talk about like like Hmong people i know parts of mexico like this you know you, you'll, you'll bury the umbilical cord under the you know the family home and just ideas of like being drawn back like would you is there something in all of us i guess that like you you would have known more quickly like i'm no i'm from i
2: I think that you could have told me that i was from the from south um from the middle east and i would have been like okay you're
0: right about that you're right yeah you're right right
2: you know and i even at some point i i took out my when i was going through this bag that i was carrying i saw my id Mm -hmm. and i read my name and even reading my name it didn't it didn't seem familiar to me at all mm. like it seemed like I was reading a name off a phone book
1: right
2: you know so it's it was interesting like what came back and then what didn't mm. um but my own name was yeah it was just like yeah I had opened the the, the phone book to a random page yeah, I was yeah, yeah. Just reading a random yeah. name that meant nothing to me um so I think in early on in the beginning. Um, my The memory that that made me realize that I was Colombian or you know what led to that was that um it was like the it was the night of the accident, and I had gone to back to my apartment with my boyfriend at the time, and he had been told by the e r doctor to wake me up every hour
1: mm-hmm. to
2: make sure that my brain was not swelling, and the instruction was to just ask me easy questions like what is one plus one um and these are not things that i knew mm. so when the doctor said like you know one plus one is two um and he was just kind of going through the instructions i was memorizing that do you know what i mean uh-huh. i was like, one plus one is two like i didn't gotcha. actually okay, know okay, cool. i was yeah. just like right remembering what was being said um or, you know he was like oh you no know, you'll you'll like ask her what year and she's supposed to say you know 2007 you know so <laughs> um there was just like things that I didn't know that I was just memorizing um but that night one and I guess um I should back up a little bit and say that at this point in in my amnesia that I had decided that I, I wouldn't tell anyone that I was having amnesia. Right. Everybody thought that I had just been in an accident and that everything was fine and, and that I wasn't having any problems with remembering things. Mm-hmm. So the doctor sent, you know, sent me back. Um, and then I, you know, he was supposed to like watch over me. So, but one of the questions that he asked that night was, uh, where are you from? And I remember getting very upset because this was not part of the list of questions that the doctor had said. So I was like, this is not.
0: You prepare for, studied- for the test. You my- prepare for the test. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't
2: one that was, that was supposed to be mm-hmm. in there. Um, but there was this, this moment of feeling afraid um, and just kind of feeling very kind of threatened. Um, mm. And that, that feeling of fear is what somehow made me realize that that I was Colombian whoa you know like that feeling of I'm afraid and then somehow that being familiar and then that opening the door into
1: wow. oh, oh I
2: grew up being afraid in Colombia wow. and then I could say I'm, I'm Colombian wow. um, but until that moment you could have told me you're from Paraguay or you're from you know wherever and I, I probably would have believed you and I, you know, it wouldn't have meant, it wouldn't have meant anything to me.
0: Sure. Well, so, you know, I, I mean, so ghosts are huge, such a huge part of this book. And like, what makes it so great is that, I mean, we go back to colonial times, um, Cristo Rey, right. Versus what it used to be like, the, you know, literally like a church built over indigenous places and, you know, talk about literal bones, grandfather who, who seemed to have known when he was dying. Some people in the family said, Wow, well, well, you know, why didn't he know exactly when and, you know, didn't necessarily believe it? But but that he was the one who was, you know, said to move clouds even at the funeral, right? But again, the history, the Spanish coming in. You write so well about like the the erasure of indigenous. Right? What what is the phrase in Spanish? Enblanquearse or like like bettering the race, quote unquote, making the race more like what what is that phrase or
2: well that phrase would be mejorar, mejorar la raza okay okay mejorar right. la raza, yeah.
0: right and so you know so, i mean some of the stories you tell are just i mean they're so matter of fact i mean like you said earlier you went to go disinter your grandfather yeah right <laughs> i mean you know your grandfather um your grandfather tried to kill your mom as a baby or maybe or was thinking about it right because mm-hmm. of the fact that she can you tell us about that that was that she was
2: yeah, so he was he was out um on on this trip and he would often go out on these um annual trips that he took through Colombia and he would visit with other curanderos um and also see his other women that right. he had um and one of those times my grand my grandmother was pregnant with my mother and my you know, out being somewhere far away. My grandfather said that he heard a ghost tell him there's a baby coming and this baby, I mean, this is what the quote is, like mm-hmm. this baby will end everyone. Um, and so my my grandfather thought that there was something dangerous about this baby and that this message meant that he was supposed to save other people. Right by killing this baby so he started to come back to ocaña which is where the family lived and he was traveling by burro and then i think he was trying to figure out what to do and also work himself up mm-hmm. to potentially having to kill this baby um and he so he got very drunk um and he he chased my grandmother. Um, who was holding my mother as a newborn because she was born in that time exactly? Mm. Um, with a machete. So he, she was, just, he was just drunk, chasing after her with a machete. Um, and my grandmother just, you know, burst into her mother's house, and her mother took. Uh, so this is my great grandmother.
1: Right. Um,
2: took my mother, like wrapped it in this shawl um that used to belong to women in the family and then just said a prayer and then slid the baby beneath her bed and told my grandmother go hide near the well um and you know everything's gonna be okay so then my my grandfather arrived to her house and he like you know upended everything um and he crouched down in the in the bed, you know, where my mother was hidden and just like looked straight in the direction and somehow didn't see her. Wow. And then just, you know, went on a rampage, like continued on his rampage and just mm-hmm. left and went somewhere else. Wow. Um, and so my my great grandmother told my grandmother that he your husband has been witched. And that there's, you know, some witch did something to him right. to to do this. Um, when he came back, it was hours later, and he seemed very confused, and he seemed to have lost time. So, my, you know, my mother, everyone in the family says that he was possessed
1: right.
2: in that moment. Right. And my mother, I mean, the the way that she tells the story is that she always brought it up with him when she wanted something that she needed (laughs) or she wanted. (laughs) So she was just uh, wanting him, you know, he would go on these annual trips and he would always come back with these animals, um, which would be like parrots or monkeys or sometimes, you know, one time he came back with an anaconda. And so she was like, I want a baby tiger, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he was like, you know, obviously I can't get you a baby tiger. Like that's not going to happen. And her response to that would be, of course, first you try to kill me. And now this,
0: My god, <laughs> that sense of humor, huh? There before your grandfather died, he, he, he met you, you met him, you, you know, you don't have the memories of him. Right. But I mean, there were some beautiful things he did for you and, you know, passing on knowledge and, and praying over you and, you know. And all those kind of things, there were, there were beautiful moments with his, with his daughter, with your mom, you know, he was also, you know, like he was also the one who, like you said, I mean, routinely was cheating, right? I mean, there was, there was women in every, every Pueblo it sounds like, how do you, how do you add it all up about your grandfather, about the great things that he did for many people, about the great things he did for people in your family, about the reverence he was held to, about his intelligence, about his creativity, and also, you know, some of the negative things, especially, you know, because of the research, formal and informal, you did like how, I guess, how have you gotten to know your grandfather through the writing of the book?
2: I mean, I guess I always knew all of those stories. I think in, in, inside my family, and I guess, you know, specifically my mother, she wasn't someone who would not say something because it was uncomfortable.
0: Sounds like it. <laughs>
2: you know, Um <laughs> And, you know, and every everybody like knew what was happening. And, you know, the the when my grandfather died, all of the aunts and uncles were talking about how they were going to announce the funeral because they didn't want to announce it with too many days ahead of time, because right. then they felt that if Nono did have other families that they would just show up. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we don't want to meet these other people.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Um okay. So yeah, so I think um I think you know everybody kind of talked about it. In the book, I just I wrote about it um just thinking about my grandmother and mm. what that would have felt like for her. And I think always with when you when there's abuse, um that it's important to tell the story from the victim's perspective. Right um so I think I tried to do that um and then that also I can also afford my grandfather like his full humanity Mm -hmm. and say both things at the same time you know I can I can I can talk about my grandmother's pain and you know how how much he had driven her to grief and just um you know craziness Mm -hmm. um and I can talk about how kind he was to to my mother, and how she, how close my mother was to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to do that for people.
0: Makes sense. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, ghosts and ghosts and ghosts. I mean, towards towards the end of the book, you do the, you know, you do the research in in towns around Colombia. You know, that that book that that disintegrates, and you know, finding these names and. And okay, oh, you know, people telling you, oh, this must have meant that so and so was, you know, the child of, a, of an African of African descent and, and a white, you know, and a European or, or indigenous, and you know, so just history and the ghosts, um, you know, through the the years of the war, which the people call the situation, right? Not la guerra civil, not whatever, right? Just the situation. Does that kind of just cover everything? Just the situation?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, because at some point it just becomes. And I think with, I, I guess for us in Colombia, that the government has marked specific con- conflicts as okay. like this is this conflict and this is that conflict and now this is a new conflict. And I think for many Colombians that it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like something has ended and then a new thing has begun, okay. but it feels like there's this situation that it has been happening the whole time. Mm-hmm. So when you say the situation, you just kind of mean the violence. You just mean the state of violence that the that there is, um, and it can mean, you know, paramilitary violence. It can mean guerrilla violence. It can wow. mean, you know, state violence, um, drug traffic violence. Mm. Um, so I I think it just it starts to cover. Everything,
0: yeah. Well, I think of it like how, like in Northern Ireland, they would call it the troubles you know, just like understatement, the situation. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, too, it sounds like your mom and maybe other family members, and maybe you, the idea of like you know, the the gifts, the curanderismo, like just called eso,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And that, I mean, again, I don't think the translation is perfect. I mean, it means like that, that thing, right? Or that,
1: yeah,
0: it's just kind of like I love how it's just so simple, like eso, but like it means so much yeah so much you know so kind of lastly, like coming to to more current history, like your family had horrible situation with with the situation pardon the the double there, and like um you know where you were you were you were taken and your your families were threatened, and you know was what forced you to move i want i want to maybe finish by talking about your father and your mother um <clears throat> your father is <laughs> scientific, rational. Is he like, is he like on the science side of like the oil or is he like more of like a businessman?
2: Science. Yeah.
0: Okay. Right. So, you know, he would go, to, he would go to the oil, you know, Libya and this and that. And he was somebody Sound you know, sound, he sounds, sounds like he's, he's not, he's not religious. He doesn't believe in, you know, a lot of those things. It sounds like his first or one of his first meetings with, with your grandfather was, but he shot at his feet. <laughs> yeah. He,
2: yeah. He just came to, to their house and just knocked on the door and just asked you know after my mother like is she home or like i'm here to see her or something and my grandfather just took the rifle that he had by the door and just raised it without saying anything and then my my dad just turned around started to run and he and my grandfather was shooting at his heels
0: welcome to the family right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i guess um you know with I mean like the yin and the yang right as far as the way you set up in the book where your mom is is a storyteller your mom is is more you know visceral and feelings and this means that and symbolism and your dad is very rational he would he would tell you the stories about you know like I guess like the beginning of the earth or, or no well the story yeah. told you about oil right and how oil yeah like geology
2: and mm-hmm. physics mm-hmm. and that's what he liked to talk about, philosophy as well.
0: Right. So I wonder what you felt like your parents, and I talk about them like their characters are actually you know, real people. I wonder if you feel like they brought, they bring to the book, like the, mm. the yin and the yang. Am I oversimplifying that? A little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that's what's fascinating about my dad is that he, I just, I grew up with him having so much resistance to, listening to my mom or just kind of um taking seriously anything that she had to say and he's Mm -hmm. just just always just making fun of her and i think i i don't know like when i see them the part of their relationship that is the most endearing and hilarious to me is that he's always putting her down and you know she's she's just like this very loud boisterous um very kind of joyful person mm-hmm. and she's you know super egotistical so nobody puts her down because, uh-huh. because she's amazing like who would <laughs> i don't know who would put her down you know so that's why it's funny is just because it's um it doesn't happen at all to her and it's never she happened
0: just, she just kind of It just doesn't mean
2: anything, but she thinks it's
0: hilarious.
2: (laughs) He'll just, yeah, he'll just be, I think at some point, I don't know if this made it into the book. I think it it did. We were like hiking in out here in in California with my parents. And I was just walking next to my mother and my mother said something like, Oh, I feel like I must've been a lion in another life. And I probably was, you know, roaming around these Hills, just looking for, for prey and then my dad came up, and he was like, "Yeah, like, yeah, I can totally like see that." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, or a rock but
1: <laughs> you know? mm. so he's
2: just always trying to like bring her down in that way, um, <laughs> and she just never yeah, she just kind of like never it just never affects she just thinks it's really funny <laughs> um, but I you know, I think in the book he he is, you know, the person that is that is bringing this other worldview, right? Um, and so I think what you have with them together is that you can really see how these worldviews kind of um, rub against each other. Yeah. You can see where they meet. You can see what they have in common. You can see the the clash of them mm-hmm. together.
0: Mm-hmm. The the line from the book is. Your mom said, I'll tell you what, though, if someone ever made a real clone of me, right, it's not that the apple didn't fa- fall far from the tree, it's that you had a copying machine, a childhood friend says to us. So you are, you know, you are the best of, of her. You are the best of, of your parents with the rational, with, the, you know, all the above. And again, you know, to simplify, oversimplifying your dad, for sure. This book, um, I hope we did. I hope I did it justice. I had a great time speaking with you. The book is an absolute must read. There's no way to talk about the book. You have to experience the book. And, you know, again, congratulations, a true work of art. Tell us again the publisher
2: Double Day.
0: Double Day. Do you have any favorite places, let's say in San Francisco, to buy the book?
2: Um, Yeah, City Lights is always my favorite.
0: Oh, the classic. The classic City Lights. I want to thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you, you know, putting up with some of my long-winded questions. (laughs) And, um, you know, the book, like I said. The book, like I said, it's just, is just a work of art. I'm going to promote it as much as I can in my small part of the world. And um, just a huge congratulations and thanks again for your time.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I loved this conversation.
0: I appreciate that. pleasure has been to speak with Ingrid Rojas Contreras. You can now subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find the pod on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will Podcast channel. Please subscribe to both my YouTube channel and my podcasts while you're checking out this episode. Starting in October of this year, I will be offering bonus episodes and extra merch and extra cool things as part of the Patreon. So please look out for more information throughout September, starting in October with Patreon. Please, please, please spread the word. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation. And I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an offending ignored art form. Have you enjoyed one, or two, or seven, or 130, or 141 episodes? If so, please, tell a friend, tell four, tell seven. Much appreciated. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental Version. And the other song played on this episode is Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. And both songs are used through archesaudio.com please tune in for episode 142 with Robert Lopez. He is author of three novels, including Cambi Bolongo Mean River, which was named one of 25 important books of the decade by HTML giant. The novel All Back Full, two story collections, and a novel in stories, a better class of people. The LA Times wrote, Lopez has the ability to give readers whiplash with his unconventional and bewitching stories, This episode will air on September 9th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Ingrid Rojas Contreras, whose work, like the man who can move clouds, gives you chills at will.